0: Cutting for sign with Ron Cecil and Daniel Penner Klein. The bad white men call him the devil.
1: The yadabai call him eyes like the sky.
0: Hey, everybody, welcome to episode seven of Cutting for Sign. I'm Ron Cecil. This is Daniel Pinner klein Today, we have uh, a really rad dude named David Abbott, who is a sailor. You've been like a world-class... I don't even know what... What do you say? <laughs> Black belt sailor? I don't know. You're, you've, you've sailed, and not only have you sailed, but you've taken your family and your kids like out of the system of normal life And you decided to do life on a catamaran while like globetrotting and did so also during a global pandemic and you somehow are also like an exceedingly talented creative writer
2: musician
0: all this stuff and uh, and i wanted to hear some of your story
2: okay well sure thanks for the the intro if i'm a world-class anything i'm a world-class buffoon but (laughs) the uh Basically, uh, if you want to talk about sailing, uh, when I was I was born in Puerto Rico, and uh, my dad was in the Navy, and for for five years we were in Puerto Rico, and then uh, my dad was an eye doctor, my mom was a school teacher, and we moved to Saudi Arabia, uh, where we lived for eleven years, and. In that time, we got uh, we did a lot of off-road experience uh, stuff. We, we got uh, land rovers, and we would go out in the desert and uh, explore. Basically, uh, Saudi Arabia is a fantastic off-roading destination, and uh, the Rub al-Khali, the empty quarter down south, is the biggest sand desert in the world. So we'd go down there uh, when it wasn't the summers too hot. But uh, other than that, we camped all the time in the desert and just... Uh, go out and explore, look for artifacts, things like that. And then the dream was always to sail around the world. That was my dad's dream. And uh, in 91 was the Gulf War, uh, and we were in Riyadh, the capital. And uh, so they started shooting scuds into the city where we were. And uh, scuds are, uh, they're not intelligent laser-guided missiles. They're just like aim in a general vicinity of, you know, a region of a city. So uh, every night, uh, well, first they said, Hey, don't worry. The scuds can't reach you. It's no problem. And then that night was the first attack. And so the air raid sirens went off and the, there were explosions in the sky and everything. And the next day they gave us all gas masks. And uh, so we sandbagged the windows and we stocked up on water and, uh, turn the kitchen into a safe room, and then we were there for uh, every night. The sirens would go off, and uh, we would go get under the kitchen table. And then they'd have the uh, the the scuds would come in, and the patriot missiles would go up. And I don't know if you remember that, but they would yeah, shoot. I was I was like
0: nine years old during that time, and oh. and uh, did, like briefly, like recall, like who was shooting at who.
2: Like, uh, that was Saddam Hussein shooting missiles, uh, at Riyadh, which is the capital of, uh, Saudi Arabia. There was, yeah. we were over by the diplomatic quarter, our compound was. And so, uh, there was a big, uh, Royal palace over there. And so that was kind of like they aim at the military airport or they'd aim in our general area, you know, uh, but, uh, all that being said, We were there for, I guess, a couple weeks of the the scuds. And then we said, okay, this is ridiculous. And we got airlifted uh, out to, uh, on a military jet to Madrid. And then they said, find your own way home. And we ended up in, um, we ended up in America and we had only been coming, I grew up overseas, but we've been coming to the States in the summers because uh, my mom was a teacher, and so she would, we would uh, visit my grandparents in Nicholasville and Wilmore in Kentucky. Yeah, And so uh, we ended up down at the Miami Boat Show, uh, and that was where we saw, the, I went on board the first catamaran. And that was right when cats were starting to be, it was going from, uh, by the way, to those of your listeners who don't know, a catamaran is a vessel that has two hulls. Uh, as opposed to a monohull, which has a single hull, or a trimaran, which has three. And uh, up until then, cats had always been kind of like a uh, on the periphery of sailing. They were home built, and as such, they suffered a reputation for being dangerous. Uh, where people would flip them, uh, or you, you know, they would sail them usually underloaded, loaded, uh, so they were really light, which makes them a lot more uh, prone to that kind of situation. And so in the early nineties, they started creating production cats that were heavy duty and, uh, primarily targeted at the charter industry, but, uh, they were slowly getting accepted by the general sailing community. And that's where my mom set foot on her first cat, uh, which was called the, the privilege 39 was the model. And, uh, that ignited a spark Uh, where she said, I could sail around the world on this boat because cats are much more stable. Monohulls, uh, if you imagine you've got a sail up here and it tilts, everything inside the boat is now at 60 or whatever, probably 30 to 40 degrees and it's uncomfortable for long periods. Whereas a catamaran tends to, you know, you get 10 degrees of tilt and it's primarily a hobby horse motion. Mm. So it's much more comfortable for long-term distance sailing uh and if you were less loaded down than us it'd be much faster uh we were definitely the slowest catamaran ever and (laughs) the uh so what that meant in practical terms for our family was the dream to sail around the world was one step closer to happening because mom was excited uh and by the way i forgot to mention in puerto rico my parents had uh, a west sail 32 which is like an old school heavy fiberglass heavy displacement boat that uh uh can go anywhere in the world but sucks when you go upwind it's terrible going upwind but everything else is you know is gravy and so she knew what the monohull life was like she was excited about the catamaran but it was also more expensive so the five-year plan in Saudi got turned into an 11-year plan and Saved up and my school in Saudi only went up to ninth grade. And so once I graduated ninth grade, uh, my sister uh, went to boarding school for a year. I have an older sister, Wendy, and the four of us uh, bought a boat, went to Florida and then got it ready to go. And it was uh, the catamaran, the 39 foot catamaran that we'd actually not the same one, but the same model that we'd set foot on during the Gulf war. uh, And, Uh, My parents named her exit only Hmm. and exit only is a, is a phrase that uh, when you're in Saudi Arabia and you're leaving and you're coming back, you, the expats say, we're going exit re-entry. And then when you leave for the final time, I'm going exit only. Oh, interesting. So that's how we ended up on the boat. That was in 95. And then we sailed, we sailed once to the Bahamas which is only about Bimini is 48 miles from Fort Lauderdale. Um, So it's close, but you have to cross the Gulf Stream, which is a, uh, it varies in how far it is from the Florida coast and how wide it is uh, and in how strong it is. But if you get a northerly wind going against uh, a southerly current, it makes square waves. And so it can get really gnarly. So that is this, that's always this hurdle that everyone's trying to get over is across the Gulf Stream. And we did that a couple times. We did a couple Bahamas runs. And then we were so late in the season in 94, 95, I, I don't remember. But uh, because of hurricane season, you have to, that weather dictates how fast you go. And we were behind the eight ball. So we just took off. And uh, we went from Florida all the way to Panama uh no no sorry we stopped in jamaica uh and then we spent a week there and then we went to panama and then we went through the canal uh, galapagos across the pacific um and then we made it as far as well and that includes french polynesia and tonga and uh fiji and we made it down to new zealand which is where we stayed for cyclone season and then uh Gosh, we were there six weeks and we had a terrible car accident. Uh, We were driving around the island and uh, we were going to tour the island. So we bought a Mazda Bongo Bondi minivan, which is like if you took an aspirin and you put uh, (laughs) tires on the front and like four really small tires on the back. Mm -hmm. So it's exactly the the right shape to roll if you uh, miss a turn. Oh, man. so we did that and unfortunately uh it was pretty bad uh, and so we got we got hurt uh all see four of us were in it and my sister's boyfriend uh was in it Philip and uh the the firemen came and they cut the roof back and they hauled it back and uh it was uh dad had he'd broken ribs and punctured a lung and uh all kinds of bone breaks and it was it was bad. Uh and mom had broken her orbital floor and there was blood everywhere. Anyways, the point being we were in the hospital for all of us for a while. Um I just I was up front, but I happened to I was slid down in my chair and I had my feet on the dashboard when we rolled. And so it was just glass cuts everywhere, but it was not it was just you know how old were you? I was fifteen. Uh, and so, uh, that, uh, are you, are you going to edit this for the broadcast or no? no? Okay. I realized I've been talking nonstop this whole yeah, time. Tell again. Okay. Cause all right. I just don't want to drone. Uh, uh, but if you want to, you were talking about like some hard times in life, yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was a pretty tough time. Uh, cause dad was in the hospital for about, uh, two and a half months uh and he kind of, he had to we lived next to the hospital in this little it was supposed to be an overnight apartment, but uh we were down in new plymouth and uh so what we with that uh I actually would do the physio with dad I would go in and go to his his bed and then I would take him through his exercises and he had to learn to walk again and it right. was a it was a it was a really big challenge and I had a lot of it was my first time I ever had um, survivor's guilt. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, in the back of your mind, you always think, if something goes wrong, I'm going to step up. I'm going gonna to be a man. Yeah. And uh, when, that, when we rolled the van, uh, you know, I blacked out. And I remember waking up and I was just hanging from my seatbelt over at my dad and my knees, I, mean, I was just bleeding on him. And he was, and the horn was, you know, it was everything that, that you imagine. And I remember all I did was I got myself out and I was so just shocked, crazy. I was just, I just laid down and, and, you know, my sister's boyfriend who was uh, 10 years older than me, uh, but he was actually like helping people out and stuff. And I was, and so I struggled with that for a long time of just like, you know, not living up to who I wanted to be.
1: Uh, Ronald, um, Ronald actually, he just told this story the other day on another podcast. He, he had a similar experience. He was really accidents. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was in Zimbabwe and, um, was in a Toyota truck and it rolled, um, two and a half times. And, and I was somehow the only person who could walk out of it. And I was pulling people out and and I, had this moment where i had everyone like laid out on the side of the road like i drug them up a hill and then the next car pulls over and and is like you know they didn't know we were in a wreck and all suddenly they see us mangled on the side of the road or our toyota hilux is on the side you know like one wheel still spinning and uh and i felt this like fear like enter in me where i wanted to like scream and and mm. and and just have all the terror and all the fear and all of it. And I and I remember having to physically swallow it. And you know, I was I was closer to your your sister's boyfriend's age. I was 20, you know, not 15. And and I remember just swallowing it. Continued to do what I needed to do. But then once we started to actually get loaded up in, in vehicles that worked and get to the hospital, like it uncorked that thing like uncorked in me and I, I like went into like shaking and crying and like, and, and the guilt of like, why am I okay? And there, there are people who are not okay. And, and, it, and I, I, that was with me for a while. That one was there. I can't imagine being uh, at the time of your life when you, the world and yourself is all telling you, it's like time to step up. And, and you just, you do what you did. I mean, I always say, and we say this together, like you do the best with what you got. Like everyone's basically doing the best with what they got. And I mean, I'm, you know, I can't imagine I'm a dad, you're a dad, you've got a couple of kids. I've got a couple of kids. Like my son is closer to the age you were then. And, um, that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself, man. <laughs> and I'm sure you've done that. You know, I'm sure you're like, as, an, as, a, as a dad now, you're like, yeah, that's, you know. But the, yeah. I, I mean, my mind is like, I can't even get around the fact that you guys were stuck in a foreign country and and all of the crazy logistics that went into that and then are now having to like, well, we're going to live here for a while. Like we're living here. This is home. Oh, by the way, dad's got to learn how to walk this process my mom broke her head (laughs) like
2: what like how long were you guys there like like what was that like well new zealand is awesome yeah uh and the people are uh they do their country credit they're just wonderful they're basically a a nation of of social workers because they they embraced us and uh you know and they gave us anything we needed uh and uh, we ended up because the, the trick is when you're on a boat, mobility is important. Yeah. Uh, dad couldn't bend his knees. Wow. Uh, so we ended up, we, we were in New Zealand for, I guess, after dad was out of the hospital and re rehabbing his legs. Uh, we were there a year and then we went, but we couldn't, well, maybe it was, Maybe I don't know less than a year, but then we went back to Saudi uh, because uh, that we couldn't sail. Gotcha. Uh, so gotcha. my my right. sister went to university, and then mom, dad, and I went back to Riyadh and were there for a year. While dad, uh, he could still work, but he he just needed to rehab his body.
0: Did, what, was he still in
2: the military then, or was he basically working like in the medical field there in Riyadh? He was in the medical field. I guess I probably didn't explain that well. He was in the Navy in Puerto Rico, and then he was done uh, and went to Saudi. As uh, at the time, the Saudis were trying to train people into being, uh, I guess, retina surgeons and eye eye surgeons. And so they brought in a lot of Westerners, and they started the King Khalid Eye Hospital as a way of uh, servicing the region, but also training the next generation of Saudi uh, physicians. Wow. And so dad was on the ground floor for that and uh, did, was involved with that. Wow. So, uh, I mean, what was that like Did you go to an American school or an international school? I did. It was the Saudi, it was called Cesar, Saudi Arabian International School. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was, people call it the American school, but uh, I loved it. I mean, most of my my friends and, and classmates were... From all over the world, Uh, you know a lot of Lebanese people, Syrians, uh, Pakistani, Indians, Eritreans, some Scandinavians, Australians, uh, Canadians, Americans. So it's it's very much a melting pot, and uh, every in Saudi, depending on where the parents work, like uh, for example, example Australian Telecom, uh, all the Aussies lived on that compound everyone on our compound was King call it i-specialist hospital we call it k-cash and uh, then the the kids of the parents who worked there that was your peer group and so it's kind of self-selecting uh, and i was we were lucky because our compound was had lots of kids and so uh, i just I grew up in a very diverse uh, community uh, and like my best friend was syrian and there were people from Peru, from Pakistan, from let's see Utah. <laughs> I mean, uh, all in our neighborhood, and everyone just—it was a great way to grow up. Uh, the only thing, if anything, I wasn't allowed to throw rocks uh, uh, because uh, all of our dads were eye doctors. <laughs> so it was one of those things that is just like the, it, no one had better come in with an eye wound from my kid, you know. <laughs> so.
0: That's funny, man. So, you know, fast forward, like, I mean, I gosh, I could like deep dive in any one of these like places. But um where does where does like music come in? Because you're you're an incredible musician. Where does Thanks. like the stop animation thing come in? Because that's also super fascinating. And then and then of course I want to get to
2: the latest trip that you guys took as well. Sure. Uh well, there's another chapter on the sailing trip, but I'll, I'll, uh, yeah. the, um, as far as music goes, uh, that was in New Zealand. I, 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 I had all in Saudi, I had learned drums and drums. I started with clarinet and I used to be very self-conscious and I was like, uh, lacking in confidence. Huh. And so I did clarinet cause my sister did clarinet. Okay. And, I did that for two years. And then in seventh grade, that was when, if you wanted to do percussion, you could, and I wanted to, uh, but the band instructor said, do you, we need bass clarinets. And so I told him, look, I'll, I'll do bass clarinet. My sister had done that. And then, uh, but I came home, I told mom, look, I really want to do drums. And she said, you can do it, but you have to ask your teacher, whose name was Mr. Francis. And for me, That was like the first thing in my life, the first step I ever took. As small as it, it sounds so small right now, but like it changed my life. The day I went in during recess, I remember I was so scared Mm. because I was, I just, I was afraid of being told no or rejection, you know? Mm. And I just asked him, uh, I know I wanted to play bass clarinet, but can I just do percussion? And he looked at me and his yes changed my life. Wow. Just that one. Yes. And that was, I, he gave me a pair of drumsticks, which I still have my first pair of my first pair of sticks from 30 years ago. And I just started learning the rudiments. I, he, he gave me drum set lessons and it was the first thing that I was ever good at. And it was the first thing that I was ever not Wendy's brother, but I was, Oh wait, you're that guy who played that rad drum solo at the, at the orchestra concert. And so that became something I would uh, like my identity and something I threw myself into. And then uh, by the time we got to New Zealand, I was playing local theater uh, because there was a a really cool playhouse that was doing like Jesus Christ, superstar or Evita Vita and things like that. And they found out I played drums. And so it was, I mean, it's local theater, but it was like, you know, they had budgets and uh, live performance in the opera house, things like that. And the conductor, who was an Australian guy, uh, said, you should be a music major. Hmm. And so that was the first time anyone had ever, like, planted a seed like that. And so when it came time for college, I did that. And it was hmm. like, uh, I mean, it's incredible how little tiny seeds get planted and, yeah. like, your life blooms. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so that Mr. Francis, yes, changed my life. And then uh, I get, oh gosh, I wish I remembered his name. I remember it looks like he's got red hair and he looked like Aslan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it might've been Aslan, I don't know. <laughs> but but he, he sent me on my uh, music learning in college and I was a major for two years. And then I switched to media because I wanted to learn how to record and do videos. Mm. And so I did that and... Uh, then I started too many drummers in college and then we just uh, learned how to write songs. And then, uh, I just, I mean, from then on it was, it was just gravy. Like I love making music with people and, and writing songs and like conceptualizing and trying to just have that brotherhood of creativity. So. Yeah,
0: man. So you, you, a couple of years ago, you came out with a movie, like a stop animation movie, right? Uh-huh. A sh- a short film maybe we call it that and how long was it
2: uh 12 12 and a half minutes ish
0: I remember as you were dropping like little snippets of it I-, I kept thinking like who the hell is this guy like who does this <laughs> like it like it reminded me of the old um like stop animation from the like early 80s that they did around like the um um Mark Twain stories. I don't know. If uh-huh. probably some like super obscure reference, but I just remember thinking like, dude, this dude's doing this. This is like, who is this guy? Why is he doing it? And so tell you me a little like about my wife the project yeah. and like all of that entailed and like what it was. And then it like you debuted it at like a movie house. It was rad.
2: Well, thanks. That was uh, uh, that all started with uh, I sketched a little thing on a piece of paper for some band merch. And uh, it, was, it turned out to be a robot. And I thought, huh, interesting. And then we made a shirt out of it. And then like a year passed. And then I, we're like, we need to, we're going to release an album. We need to make a music video. What are we going to do? And I've always loved, like Peter Gabriel is one of my favorite musicians. Uh, and he did his video back in the day called Sledgehammer. Yeah, I remember it. And it was, it was all stop motion and it was like, yeah, it was like stop motion on peyote. I mean, it was definitely, you (laughs) know, abstract. Yeah. But, uh, I, I said, you know, let's, let's try a stop motion. And the guys in the band were like, okay, you know, whatever, Dave, go for it. And I thought, no, this is something that lots of people would love to do with me. This would be great. This would be a group project. And so, uh, did you, do you know Chris Hall? Uh, in Kentucky
0: bass, bass player
2: yeah bass yeah
0: yeah. I played bass in, in high school and college so I like oh right on things like stand out to me yeah
2: well Chris is a really good friend and he's a dreamer and Chris was the one guy I needed to just enough to you know he yeah. said yeah you should do that and so we met a couple times of like conceptualizing ideas and he we built built the model and originally the plan was like this really elaborate set that was going to have like these aliens and lab coats that were conducting experiments about this, uh, this center for the researching happiness. And I was going to have, and we started building that set. And I realized quickly that I was way, 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 way overdoing it. And so we scaled it back and I said, all right, let's build a junkyard and make a rock show. And that was doable. <laughs> so, uh, we, so we came up with, uh, uh, Chris encouraged me and then I just kept doing it. I just kept going. And, uh, in our garage, I cleared our, our garage out and we built a set that was probably, oh, 15 feet by 15 feet all the way to the ceiling. And I just started building, uh, I was making it up, but it just seemed like step-by-step. Step, okay. Well, solve that problem, solve that problem. And, Built a, a big junkyard and with a crane that had a disco ball on it, and then I got lights from IKEA, and then a friend of mine had a 3D printer, so we printed bodies that uh, you could slide an iPhone into, and I ordered like 30 tripods from China, and then I broke the tripod legs up, uh, and I made those into limbs, and then I took keychains and I made those into shoes for like converse sneakers and. The iPhone, I would put a green piece of paper in front of it and then backlight it uh, with the idea being that as the I'd animate the robots uh, dancing and singing, and then uh, I green screen our faces onto them later. Uh, and so by backlighting it, uh, I was trying to eliminate shadows because with green screen, once you start adding shadows, it's uh, much tougher. Uh, It turned out I had to rotoscope everything anyways. Uh, uh, So anyhow, the little project became a big project, became a huge project. The band kind of went on sabbatical Mm -hmm. and I kept going. And, you know, before I knew it, I was two years into it. And I was just a dude in a garage playing with dolls, you know, every night and, 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 animating them and doing scene by scene. And I was so invested at that point that I was just like, I got to finish this. And my wife was awesome. She supported me in my madness. And, uh, by the, by the time three years had passed, I could see the end in sight. So for me, one of the, the big challenges has always been having enough confidence, uh, to, to present art and to say okay this is the best i can do i hope you'll like it mm. and uh i wanted to premiere it at a theater like the the kentucky theater uh which is downtown in lexington it's like this old school kind of vintage playhouse that's got fancy gold and, super cool keep talking yeah and so i did a kickstarter and uh just to raise enough money to rent it out because it And to rent a, I had to get a special hard drive from a guy in Nashville to to play it on their projector. And so it cost a few thousand dollars and uh, it was such an affirming thing because I didn't realize how many people were pulling for me until Mm -hmm. I put the Kickstarter out there and I said, this is what I'm doing. If you are into it, please, uh, I'd love to have your support. If anything, just celebrate And, uh, we, we raised the money and rented the facility and everything was crazy town by the end of, I actually had to, to, I mean, I could barely pay, I couldn't pay anything what their time was worth, but I had to beg uh, a couple of friends to help me because there was, I had to go back and individually rotoscope to carve out, uh, all like 12,500 individual frames for all the robots to make the faces work oh my god uh, and in the meantime our bass player uh had had moved to wisconsin he quit the band and so i had a drummer who had four arms and he was still in the band i had me singing and playing guitar and then i had another robot the bass player and i was like you know we're still friends but technically he kind of quit the band so what are we uh what are you doing here? And fortunately uh or unfortunately i've i've had over the years too many drummers has gone through maybe 15 20 people uh, have played in the band uh, for you know and some people move yeah. for reasons and other people just it's not for them or whatever and we're all friends so i called them all up and i said send me video of you rocking out and i want to put you in this project and so, and then I uh, contacted uh, friends and family and fans, and said, "If you dig what we're doing, just send me video." And I gave them just uh, instructions. And so, basically, it meant getting their, you know, their face framed right, and then just kind of. <laughs> and then I edited their performances in, and so now, uh, when the final product, the bass player the whole time is is static uh flitzing between different faces of all these people that are important in my life oh wow that's rad! Right. i and my girls are in it my daughters and my wife and my sister and so it's one of those it's one of those cool things that like it'll always be there uh i got a question for you it's kind of
1: yeah. i don't know your story as well as even ronald does and kind of taking it in and you have this childhood where you're in a couple of different countries and the sailing and a uh, pretty traumatic experience. And then uh, with the car accident and then uh, you get the music coming on board and then these other skills and abilities, you know, family. I was kind of curious if uh, there's been an overarching kind of theme to, to the story of, of all these things. Um, do they equal a, a purpose in your life? And if, if that's the case, Have there been some very clear um, points of difficulty that you've had to overcome? I know that's kind of a lot, but I think you kind of know what I mean.
2: Sure. Um, Overarching purpose. The more, the older I get. That dog has a purpose, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Yeah. the older I get, like the more I'm convinced, at least for me, my life is about, uh, about loving people. Mm. And so there's a lot of practical ways to do that. And the most important role I have is being a dad, being a husband for sure. Hands down. Uh, so, uh, and sometimes I'm better at that than others for sure. Uh, But beyond that, the things that I do, and like now I've been writing a novel, uh, I've been doing a lot of writing, and uh, the thing that ties it all together is I think we're storytellers. I think people in general are storytellers. And certainly that's the thing I aspire to, that I'd love to, to be able to invite people into a narrative that makes their life better.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so uh through all the, the I mean everyone faces challenges for sure. Uh uh like some of the stuff but the the thing with the the car wreck, I mean that was 15. Uh there's been a lot of stuff since then. Uh in 2006 we were in the tsunami in Thailand. That was pretty epic. Jeez. Uh <laughs> this the stuff in um uh the challenge of sailing offshore is a very real life-threatening situation if you don't uh do it with great intention uh because all it takes is one mistake and you've got an absolute catastrophe uh, so I mean, that kind of thing is, is always about staving off uh, bad experiences. Uh, so I guess what I'd say is my purpose through all the, the, the creative outlets that I have, uh, which are music, uh, making videos, uh, now writing. Uh, I think the purpose is if you can bring a smile to someone else's face, if you can make them feel better about their day, I think you've accomplished a lot. Mm. Uh, So, and if uh, one thing I've always done, I've been a teacher, uh, like I've taught music to to a couple hundred private students at this point, I've done a lot of instruction and uh, the, the rad thing, like it's such a blessing to see. I have kids like I have one kid. I remember she came to my, my lesson one night on her 10th birthday and she was wearing cowboy boots and a blue jean skirt. And she was so stoked about her boots. And she just graduated from law school uh, last year. Wow. And so I don't, I'm do not i not saying I was in any way responsible for that, but I am saying I see how, like Mr. Francis's yes, made a difference in my life, how the yes, as we say, and the more we empower other people makes a difference in theirs. Mm. Uh, so if, if I have any ripples, that's what I hope they are. Mm.
0: Yeah. Man. That's I love that answer. I don't know if you could answer any better than that. Let's jump back to this last year where you and your whole family got into basically what is like the dream of many, many people. Maybe I don't know. I think it's a dream. If it's my dream, I think everyone's got it. But uh you guys like got on the sailboat on a catamaran. Was it the same catamaran you grew up on or you, you get your parents got when you guys were when you were young?
2: Yeah, I'll give you the real brief catch-up. Yeah. Um, so we went back to the boat, uh, when I was in college, went back to the boat, sailed from New Zealand to New Caledonia. My wife joined us there at the time. The, did the girlfriend. boat stay in New Zealand like that whole time? Yes. Uh, well, we went back to the boat, sailed to Fiji for one season, came back to the boat, uh, to New Zealand. Yeah. Then I went to university in America, uh, in, uh, Asbury in Wilmore. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, and then uh, I uh, was in the States living in America for the first time. Uh, and at one point, I helped deliver the boat from New Zealand to New Caledonia to Australia in 2001, I think. And my wife now, uh, Sarah, sailed with us in New Caledonia. And that was her only experience on the water on a sailboat. Uh, but she had a great time. And, uh, but she, she didn't do ocean crossing. After I graduated from college uh, in 2002, I moved to Florida, and she and I were still dating, and uh, I called my folks up, and I'd had this bugaboo in my head. I really wanted to finish the circumnavigation. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd made it from America to Australia, and so dad told me, you know, he, he thought about it, talked to mom, and they said, look, if you save $10,000 cash and don't sell your car, we'll consider it. Uh, And they were in Australia at the time, living on the boat. And so uh, it took me a year and a half of only eating cereal. I worked three jobs, and I saved the money. And I invited Sarah to come with me, and we were engaged. And so Sarah joined us, and we sailed from Australia back to the United States. And that was from 2004 to 2006. Um, And that was... Sorry. When you left Australia, did you go to the Pacific or did you like keep going around the Oh, we, we, we went up to Indonesia, uh, yeah. to Malaysia, to Thailand, which is where the tsunami happened on boxing day. Yeah. Um, then across the Indian ocean to the Maldives, up the Red Sea to the Mediterranean, Gibraltar, down the coast of Africa to Cape Verdes, and then across to uh, Barbados through the Caribbean up to Fort Lauderdale. That's when we finished the whole. Holy, so holy it took bold. us eleven years in total, but we had some stops, a lot of stop and <laughs> goes. <laughs> so the,
1: eleven years, including the part when you were a kid. Oh, sorry, okay,
2: gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, from start to finish, and that includes being in New Zealand, car wreck. You know, all that yes, land, I mean, college and everything. I can't imagine what that was like. It's, it's
1: funny. The boat that I, well, before we started the recording that we mentioned that I sailed on was uh, on it was finishing a circumnavigation and it was out of New Zealand. Oh, right on. Yeah. What kind of a yeah. boat was it? It was a 55 foot catch. Yes. that enough information. It's been a long time. I don't know if that's the right words to say. Catching one has like two
2: nests. Is that right? Yes. A catch has two masts and a yawl. The, uh, the mizzen mast, the one that's further to the stern is behind the cockpit and on a catch it's in front of the cockpit. Okay. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, we were just talking before about, a to a gentleman from Hawaii and, uh, I read referenced my time there in Hawaii and how meaningful it was. And, uh, just a lot of those, uh, what'd you say seeds? Like you, you kind of, um, you know the clarinet uh, transition into drums you know and yeah. uh, of those for me happened right around that time when I mm-hmm. sailed you know mm-hmm. like big time in fact the guy that I met that day on that sailboat just bought one of my paintings and it's like the only reason I know him is because I said I'm I, I'm gonna sail home instead of flying home you know and like walked off to a harbor and was like where's the boats that go that way to America <laughs> to the, yeah man yeah it was really romantic and and it, and it worked you know it was an amazing experience but how long did it, how long were you at sea where we i see 19 days
0: you'd never sailed before no it's, wow. it's
1: pretty good i actually was like i was in a conversation with a gentleman that i would met uh, in hawaii and he was telling me about him sailing from hawaii, hawaii to san francisco two boats did it together and there was this kind of neat play together and i said when well, i'm gonna leave i was 20 years old When I leave Hawaii, I'm sailing home. Well, I was on the big island, so I thought, well, go to the biggest harbor around. So I flew. When I was ready to leave, I flew to Oahu, and I spent the first night I spent indoors in six months because I was just sleeping on the beach, taking a break from college, and going on an adventure. Got on, slept inside, walked down to the harbor, asked someone. The first person I saw, where are the boats that are going to the mainland? He goes, have you ever sailed before? I was like, no. He goes, well, it's not the right time of year. You've never sailed. Go away. And it was the harbor master. So I was like, well, screw that guy. So I kept walking. Next person goes, they're all that way. I walked down over there. And within 10 minutes, I was on a boat that was leaving that week for the mainland wow and the guy who popped his head up when i first saw hey hey hey, pops his head up he just bought one of my paintings that was 20 years ago <laughs> Dude, that's, <laughs>
0: that's awesome i know i had no
2: idea about that story <laughs> did, uh when you uh did your crossing did you enjoy it
1: yeah it was an amazing experience yeah so we did a shakedown sale from oahu to Kauai. it's 24 hours and you probably know as well as anyone that those those waters right between the islands are really rough because the Hawaiian islands is a big mountain range. And if you take the water away, it's like all these currents blasting into this mountain range Mm. and then squeezing through these narrow creates choppy waters. So we were all celebrating a week of getting the boat ready. And someone gave us these big red hook, double stout beers, right? When we left. So I'm just like clicking my heels, drinking this beer. And the next twenty four hours, I puked seven times. I was on my back the entire time. I, was I saw <laughs> that coming. I saw that coming. Oh yeah. yeah. And then the the skipper is this uh, Kiwi, uh, and she goes, "Well, this guy's out," you know. <laughs> and I said, "F that! I can do this." <sighs> and we spent three weeks in Honolulu Bay and Kauai, and we fixed the boat up uh, even more, just getting it ready and. I have the, the Dramamine pills or whatever. And, and they said, you know, if you, if you do it right, you can get over that. And we did 19 Days of Sea. Had a great adventure.
2: Gosh. Dude, that is rad. Good for you. But I mention it because the
1: meaningful experiences that I had in that very short period of time were uh, exponentially greater than many of other and i kind of associate that traveling time with being open to the outer world reflecting kind of some of the subtleties and romance and adventure that's in our inner lives and mm-hmm. to extend that through several more countries as you did and through several years it just must be an incredible and formative experience
0: yeah why don't you tell us a little bit th- about that like introducing your kids to this this trip like this how like how long were you gone? Where did you go? You know, give us some of those juicy details while you're saying, I'm going to go turn on the light.
2: <laughs> Tell me. Well, this last, the last voyage we did, um, the way that birthed uh, Sarah and I, when we got back to America in 06, she had a Kentucky license for, she's a physician's assistant. So that's where she could get a job. She had contacts there. We'd like the, the people. It's a cool place. And so, we moved to Kentucky and then we had kids. Uh we, we bought a house. We had kids. And uh before I knew it, it was a decade, a decade had passed. And we're I'm just looking around and we have great friends there. And it was the first time I ever had roots in a place where I like invested in people's lives and uh in, in like a long term way, and they knew me and I knew them, and that was awesome. But I also looked around, I was like, if we don't, if we're not intentional, we will be here when my kids graduate from high school. And I mean, it's just, it's going to happen. It's going to slip away. And a lot of people want, like they want
0: that stability. They want that like thing. And there's, but there's something like, I get it. My wife and I are the same way. Like, you know, a few years ago, we took our kids and we did a four month trip or three-month trip to Europe and five oh, weeks wow. from your home. Then we were just renting like farmhouses out like, you know, Southern Spain, Portugal, like France, like just living it. So we, I get that bug. And, and I think a lot of people be like, what the hell, are, what are you talking about? So <laughs> that's in you, obviously. And, and like, tell me a little bit about that like spark.
2: Well, that's a, uh, you know, that's a good point. I sometimes forget that. Uh, certainly my wife was uh, excited to have a house. And, um, and it was awesome. I had, I built a recording studio downstairs, uh, and it was pretty good, solid home studio. I, I had sound treatment and a big mixing console and I was producing and, and doing music that way. And, but it was just that spark you're talking about the wanderlust. Uh, I think having kids is really what, kind of focused us because my wife was her, her parents are from India and Finland and she grew up uh, in Washington state was where she was born. I guess she born in New York, I think, but she grew up in Washington Mm. and then they moved to Paris in France when she was a teenager or slightly before being a teenager and they lived there seven years uh, while she was with them. Uh, cause her parents were starting a church in Paris hmm. and, uh, so her, between her background and where she was living, uh, I think that's one of the things that drew us together was kind of like the international perspective. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that was having kids. We realized that first, I mean, our, you know, time goes so quick and before you know it, like, uh, like my oldest Zoe is nine she's halfway to 18. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And my youngest is six. Uh, and so if we were not real proactive about it, they weren't going to be able to have that perspective. And so we were looking at like, well, uh, we could look at working overseas. We could, uh, we both want to live overseas just because we love like my favorite. I love being in places where I don't speak the language. I think that is super cool. Yeah. Uh, Because it's an area to grow. Uh, It's and I get to like learn new cultures and learn uh, new languages and kind of like uh, be comfortable in foreign places. And I want my kids to have that skill and comfort zone, uh, especially because the world is so rich. It's so just it's there's so many ways to go through life. And like the favorite thing we did Uh, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but in the past year, my favorite thing we did was when we went to the San Blas Islands in Panama, uh, that is a a region of the world where the San Blas Indians are, uh, it's kind of their area and they have their own government and they're living in huts on the beach and they're paddling canoes around and they're going out every day and they're fishing from their canoes and they're either selling their fish to... Yachty's like us, or tourists, um, or they're eating what they catch. And we had, it was awesome cruising with kids uh, because uh, people treat you different. When you have kids on board, you're safe. And kids are like a, a an invitation to interact. And so you go and you walk through a Gunayala village. A Gunayala is the Indian tribe that lives there. You walk through a Gunayala village and uh, the kids come up to you. Hey, Sarah's here. gonna say hi. Speaking of kids, I know. Oh, hi.
1: <laughs> I thought you were pantomiming a kid coming up to me. You. A really good actor.
2: <laughs> hi. Uh, so, but by having my kids see people who are living basically in a totally different world. And, uh, in the other part of Panama over, uh, over towards Guatemala, there's a place called Bocas del Toro and that there, we went out one day and saw these kids who are my children's age that are wearing school uniforms and they're paddling a canoe, like four miles across open water to go to school in the morning. And like, I just, for the chance for, for that perspective to understand that the world is such so diverse and so rich and that there's so many ways to live is that's what made us want to live international. And that's what makes us want to, to give our kids uh, and keep our perspective open like that. Yes.
0: Yes. Have you,
1: have you brought, um, well, I asked this because a friend of mine recently asked, uh, if I would ever want to live abroad for an extended period of time, I've lived in Australia and I've lived in Hawaii. Um, and I lived in uh, Alaska and a couple other places across the United States. And like you, I was born South of the border. I was born in Mexico. And, but I have yet in my, as I've sort of woken up in life to live abroad in a place of my choosing, Mm -hmm. uh, And the call to do that is growing primarily because I feel like if I get taken out of an environment and now who I am now placed in another environment immersed that I might change or grow up in some ways that I, I I can't even see or fathom here Mm. with your experience. Have, do you have some of those ways you've brought some of that back with you into your life now?
2: You know, one of my, one of my big questions of, of, going sailing as uh I'm 41 now as as a 40-year-old man is how will the places I remember from being 15 be different uh when I'm 40 yeah. oh yeah uh, not just in in reality but also in the stories I've told myself of yeah. the you know like oh I remember when that happened I remember you you fell off that dock there and you got chased by a crocodile uh, you know and i've told that story f- i'm making this up but I, I told the story 500 times and the crocodiles now the size of a battleship and i'm you know uh, as so what i'm finding about growing older is that i'm appreciating uh my experiences a lot more uh so as as far as is uh i forgot your question
1: it sounds like you're in a similar place that i am you'd maybe like to do that again with who you are now that's kind of what i is that
2: what you're saying a little bit yeah well that was that was the plan for the last uh the last four years uh when uh so what i'll answer your question by finishing the story uh as, is it is it ronald or i always thought it was ron is it ronald it's either is it is whatever he calls me, Ronald, and uh, am I one of the few? One of the few. Oh, wow, but it's fine. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's totally okay. Well, I, well, as, as Ron was asking about the last trip, um, uh, right after I was finishing that stop motion video, uh, I was wanting to. Sarah and I had been looking at buying our own boat and uh, selling our house, buying our own boat, and uh, you know, just looking at old. 1970s thick fiberglass, uh, boats that need some work, but you no, know, that'll do the trick.
0: I, and, I got, I'm laughing because I have been up late at night scrolling through, uh, sailboat classifieds. Really? Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was like, I'm industrious, I know how to work tools. Like, oh well, man, I, <laughs> like I'm gonna do this. And my wife's like, okay, maybe. What are you doing? <laughs> and then and then we we went on that uh trip to Europe and I remember the motorhome. You know, we rented a motorhome in Europe, and and the the times I would be like up at night thinking about the noise that was coming from like the you know the propane tank that like generates the the, the cold for the refrigerator and provides the heat and i'm and I'm like did i did i turn the knob on that tight enough is it like gonna leak and i and as i was scrolling through the sailboats and thinking about that i was like i'm i don't i think i would like die of anxiety yeah on it's a like boat.
1: you'd either be the perfect <laughs> guy for a boat or you would like tip over and <laughs> check out
2: that that's the worst part is when you're uh when you're on a boat, if you have a problem, you know, like there's there's little problems and then there's sink the boat problems. And so, you know, that's the uh yeah, that's you have always a firm
1: the firm grasp on what is what. Ronald's <laughs> like, "Sink the boat?" Yeah. <laughs> Coffee makers acting funny. Spout sinking.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I would almost probably, got it. <laughs> my hair would gray like so much on that. <laughs> that's amazing. So, what, yeah, what keep going, saying, man. So. yeah.
2: Well, so we we uh, talked to my folks and my dad has been uh, in Phoenix uh, after we got back in 06, he and mom moved out to Phoenix and dad was a flying doctor for the Indian health service. Oh yeah. And so they were based in Phoenix and he would go out to the different tribes.
0: Like the four and, corners area, like all the, all the tribes, like all over. Yeah.
2: That's yeah. Amazing. And he was retiring from the Indian health service. And so I said, well, exit only the catamaran had been in the yard for 13 years untouched. And uh, I said, what if we fix the boat and go sailing again? And so they talked about it and, you know, I said, let's just, let's have one more family adventure. Hmm. And so they, uh, we, we, they talked about it and we said, all right, let's, let's do it. And so after that stop motion thing, I went down uh, with dad to Florida, uh to uh uh, fort pierce and we pulled the tarp off the boat and just started it it was overwhelming when we, we i mean 13 years is a long time yeah um and she'd been you know we took care of her but she'd done a circumnavigation so stuff was worn out and so we went we started. I remember the first day when we were looking at it, and we're just like, "Holy crap! What have we What have we done?" And then, you know, we we climb on board, and we're we're just. It was just a huge project. Like we're thinking, it was all right. We could do this maybe in four or five months. Um, and uh, <laughs> we started the first day. We went and we bought pieces of wood and we cut our pieces of wood and we replaced the ones on the ladder. And so we, we had one thing every day we'd show up to the boat and we had new steps on the ladder. And that was at least one project that was done. And so once we had that, you know, we had the courage to do our next project and thing after thing, we replaced, uh, we just went system by system. Uh, and dad called up my boat internship because truthfully on the first time, uh, the circumnavigation, I helped, uh, I, when we finished, I was 27. So I was doing a lot more on the boat. Uh, but like I had no business in the engine room and this time I did it all. (laughs) So uh, I remember watching,
0: following you along on Facebook and, and like, I don't think you can really capture how incredibly intricate all this is. Like we see people, you know, we're we're impressed when someone's like, "Oh, I remodeled my kitchen. Like, I yanked out all the all the cabinets. I yanked out the plumbing and put it back." And most of us, ninety nine percent of us, are gonna be like, "Amazing, incredible job." But the but what is required on a boat on a sailboat is like carpentry, weird, like esoteric fiberglass like skills,
1: floats, plumbing,
0: <laughs> mechanic, Crazy. electrical systems, like seamstressing. I, is that even a word? Like <laughs> Like all of that stuff, I remember just like my mind was blown every time you guys had a project, and I'm like, oh, like another thing you guys have to do. This is nuts.
2: Well, there's a lot of people in who will just pay to to have someone else do this stuff. But a, we couldn't afford it because in the marine industry, I kid you not, mediocre work is a hundred dollars an hour to get to have someone show up and do something that you're going to have to redo. Uh, so we just we did as much as we could by ourselves and we had a lot of stuff that we like we did hire some professionals for some stuff and we ended up fixing a lot of their mistakes but uh the biggest project we did was like you said seamstressing i learned how to sew so we had a sewing uh, machine and it took us five weeks but we redid all of the uh upholstery on the walls in the boat uh and so that was that was by far the nastiest biggest uh, most terrible project. Um, but I'm sure that if we paid someone that would have been 20 grand to have them do it. Uh-huh. So uh, it, it ended up taking us. Uh, gosh, eight months. And by then we'd kind of missed the, the weather window for hurricane season. So, but we went back to Kentucky to get our stuff sorted. We rented our house out. Uh, and my dad came back here to Phoenix and had, uh, he'd been feeling bad and it turns out his gallbladder was, uh, was <laughs> on the fritz. And so he ended up having to get emergency gallbladder surgery, all kinds of that stuff, you know, piles up. And so then the sailing trip was off, uh, at least for that season, cause he had to heal. So we stayed in our house for another, uh, another, uh, few months and then mom and dad did their thing dad healed and then we said all right we're gonna go back and we're gonna try it again and then we got back to the boat got it uh put back in the water uh and uh we ended up selling our house because we rented it and didn't work out uh turns out that renting it is pretty stressful if you're an absentee landlord so (laughs) <laughs> that's the truth
0: i had a house in kentucky for for a couple of years that we were renting long distance from portland and when when finally we're like let's sell this thing like <laughs> i'm done i'm done it was super stressful did you end up making money on it no like ten thousand dollars after three years
2: <laughs> yeah and, and it's like all it takes is one person to have one bad mistake and you've wiped all it is so it's just like forget yeah. it yeah, so we yeah. we sold the house, uh, which, oh, that turned out to be a huge blessing, just relieving stress. Mm. Um, but we got the boat on the water. We were ready to go. And uh, it was late one night. We we're at this concrete dock in the Fort Pierce City Marina. We were like three days from leaving. And Dad took the garbage bag and was going to go dump it in the garbage. And he went and stepped off the boat. And I I was like, where would dad go? Weird. And I was just doing my thing. And then I went out in the cockpit a few minutes later and I hear him calling me and I look over and he's laying on the dock and he had fallen onto the concrete dock and broken his hip. (laughs) And so he was just laying there and, you know, he's a, he's a doctor. So he could, he could tell that, all right, uh, yeah, we need to, We need to get a golf cart and we need to like this is a broken so i got sarah who's a pa and we took him to the emergency room and all that being said he ended up uh the the doctor said look we just need to let this heal uh don't we're not gonna cut him and put stuff inside so we uh he ended up going to a basically like a, a nursing home uh and he was there for A couple months and uh doing his rehab and just letting uh like rehabilitating the muscles and letting the the bones knit and then we moved him to a hotel and so it was uh it was this is the
1: same dad who had also been rehabbing while you were all ready to sail the last time right
2: yes this was his other leg yeah. Oh, I'm
1: yeah, good. Thankfully, he only has two.
0: <laughs> was yeah. he at ever point going like maybe I shouldn't get on a boat? Yeah, like maybe I man. shouldn't go sailing.
2: <laughs> there was there was definitely I I won't lie. One of Sarah's coworkers cool uh, who was helping us out, he was like, "Maybe this is a sign." I was like, "It's not a sign." <laughs> 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 I mean, I think
1: that sometimes like sometimes the
0: sign is the resistance. Oh you know, yeah, you know yeah. the
1: sign is no, it's not.
0: <laughs> like. I mean, on our little trip, which does not compare, you know, you know, in in the motorhome for five weeks, like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong, including me driving under a bridge, a bridge too low. And for a moment, really? I, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like I remember, I dropped my wife off in Paris. She's going to go to like a women's business conference, and my kids, who's nine and four at the time. And they're back they have their headphones on they're jamming out to the music and i'm about to drive to the birthplace of a specific kind of climbing called bouldering and it's southeast of the city of paris and i'm like happy as a clam i've got my music on and I'm like just like looking at the eiffel tower off in the distance and it's the morning rush hour and uh and i'm just following google maps right And I'm cruising down this like ring highway around the city and I see this bridge coming and like at a certain moment, I'm like, it's a little too low. And like, the next thing I know is like, (gasps) like it it sounds like, it sounds like the top's about to rip off. And, and, and my mind is going, I've just killed my kids. And I did that because I'm an idiot. Like I'm a total and complete nincompoop and and like you know in a second i realized like okay the top stool on and i look in the rearview mirrors and it's like full of cars and so i just i just decide to push on through yeah.
1: <laughs> and i can no see, assessment of the damage. i can see the end of the yeah, tunnel definitely
0: shouldn't be sailing about <laughs> <Like, that's laughs> i'm like
2: maybe the tunnel was like a block long you know like it wasn't oh, like a tunnel. Oh it wasn't goodness. like it wasn't grr, the whole time. It was just the entrance to the tunnel.
1: Oh, oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> longest no. minute like, grr, and
0: I and I get oh, out no. and I and I like I'm <laughs> screaming at the top of my lungs. I look up and the roof's still on, but the the uh the sunroof at the beginning was cracked, and I could see some sunlight in the back, and I could see from the back like a corridor panel is like flopping in the wind. And, and my kids, like, I'm not even kidding. My kid, my kids like pull a headphone off. They're like, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm so, adren- I'm so adrenalized. I'm like, you know, screaming at my kids for no reason. Like, and, and we pull over and my son goes, uh, dad, what can I do? And I go, um, <laughs> can you make me some food? <laughs> and He like he makes me like a pickle and have <laughs> sandwich, like all the only thing we had in there. And I'm like pacing around there and like letting my adrenaline come down. I fixed the thing with duct tape. I mean, all in all, like everything was fine. I literally bought some duct tape and like duct taped this whole thing back together, which was okay, you know. But all kinds of silly things like that continued to happen. And the whole time we were going like, "What are we doing?" like why are we spending all this money like we could be in a hotel right now we could be in a nice hotel for the co- for the price that we've paid for this mm-hmm. and now four years later we're like man i can't wait to rent a motorhome again like i like i want to go back i want to do it again i want to i want more adventure than less like the all of that resistance all of those things that seemingly were wrong like were actually the magic for us but like obviously none of us got hurt like if it it was injury like your dad, you know, having some major, major problems. Like, was there a point for you guys where like, no, we're going to not do this. Or were you like, no, no, no. Like further up, further in.
2: No, we never, uh, you know, we were really committed by that point. Yeah. Uh, the main question was, can we do it? Huh. Uh, just in terms of uh, was dad's leg going to heal yeah. enough that it would be safe? Cause if you if we got offshore, I mean, once you're once you're 500 miles offshore, if you break your leg, then uh, you could die. Uh, just in terms of like, right. uh, uh, I don't know the medical uh, reasons for that, but I was assured that that was possible. <laughs> so, like infection and like not yeah. having access to medicine and,
0: and all the things that hospitals and doctors have—that's crazy.
2: Yeah. And so that was our big question is if it heals, okay, which it did, uh, is he going to be, is it safe for him to like, because it, when you're sailing, you know, the boat's moving all the time and things are happening and you don't, uh, you don't always know when you're going to get hit by stuff. And you're always, I mean, I'm lifting 90 pounds outboards around and we we've got a 70 pound anchor with 200 feet of chain and there's, there's like heavy forces at play mm-hmm. and, uh, all it takes is to to like turn your back one way, the wrong way, and you've got now you've got a huge uh, issue.
0: Yeah, as you were describing those weights, I was like, man, I would my I've had my back go out a, a few times, and I mean, you're you're done. Like, there's you're not doing anything for a while.
2: Yeah, and and if you're like you know, in Panama, that's not a problem, but if you're between Marquesas and Galapagos, now you've got. Uh, uh, issues. Oh, so, yeah. So for us, it was never a question of should we stop It was more like, is it, is it safe uh, to go on? Yeah. Uh, and so for us, uh, dad healed and, uh, we gave him the time he needed and the doctors were cool with it. Uh, and like the leg guy, they x-rayed it and did all that. And they, they said he was healed. So we went across and fortunately this time, we weren't too late in the season. We were right on time. So we went to the Bahamas, hung out there for a couple months. Uh, then we originally wanted to stop a bunch of places, but, uh, the weather being what it was, we went through the windward channel, uh, windward passage between, um, Haiti and Cuba and just kept going South. Uh, we would like to have hit Jamaica, but the, the trade winds were reinforced, uh, that year. So, it was like all we could do. It's funny, you know. We're heading south, and the wind is blowing us this way. Uh, and Nicaragua's over here. I'm trying to to do it backwards so that my camera shows the right directions. Nicaragua's over here, and they're having all this piracy issues in this region. And so the whole time we're just like point that way, you know, drifting. And so we didn't make it to Cartagena in Colombia, but we went down to Panama. Then we ended up to, we went to San Blas, which I talked about earlier. We did go to Cartagena, which is amazing, and Colombia loved it. Then back to uh, Cologne, and then to the Bogus del Toro. So Panama, turns out, is one of the most incredible cruising grounds ever. It's a small country, but it has South Pacific-style islands. It has kind of mangrove Beach, uh, Thailand ish sort of vibes to the west. Then on the other side, it's almost like the Canaries, desert islands. Um, and so once we went through the canal, we, we were in Panama for eight months. And the plan was we're going to hit Galapagos at the uh, top of March, spend one or two months there, and then from Galapagos, go to the Marquesas Islands. And then work our way across the Pacific and end up in New Zealand or Australia at the end of the season by mid-November, end of October. Uh, So we made it as far as we arrived on February 29th in Galapagos, uh, which was an amazing sale. uh, It was awesome because two reasons. One, in Galapagos, they have so many rules about going there. They don't really want yachts. They're not worried about that. They're happy to have them. But... They have uh, tourists who are coming in for cruise ships and, and stuff like that. That's where the money is. So they make it uh, pretty regulated. Uh, and to that end, when you show up, you have your bottom of the boat has to be completely free of any growth. Um, and so we actually took the boat and dried it out in the Perlis Islands in Panama, uh, put it out, it's called careening. So we went up, let the water go down, and then we scraped the bottom totally clean, the water came up, we floated off again, and between that and the Panama current, uh, we were making, we were averaging like seven to eight knots, which for us, we normally do like five to six, and it was warm water, and we crossed the equator, uh, which for me, I've done that a few times, but my girls, uh, there's like a, a, a tradition uh, in the, in the the navy but also on the water where you're you're what's called a polywog until you cross the equator uh, on the ocean and then you have to do a ceremony with king neptune and you become a shellback Hmm. and so like on navy ships they they have all kinds of crazy stuff where they'll take and they'll like take leftovers and make gruel and make people roll around in it and all you know it can be whatever you want uh for us it was just a fun celebration and we made the kids, we jumped in the ocean, you know, and in, in, we're 700 miles from land. And so jumping in the water and swimming around and uh, that's, that's a mind trip when it's, yeah. you know, 700 feet deep and, you know, there's nothing around and you jump in and, you know, like, uh, it's awesome. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's a little scary. And
1: yeah, one of the scariest things I've ever done is on that sailing trip to Hawaii. We were about a hundred miles just in the first day or two hundred miles out, 200 miles out, but you couldn't see anything. And the water's electric blue, you know, dark, mm-hmm. but electric. And I jumped off and I was like, how far down can I go with my eyes open, looking straight down? And swimming you know and it's incredible it's a very uh, steep curve of i'm cool to like i'm gonna get swallowed by fill in the blank it was terrifying uh-huh. oh my gosh because the light goes down into like a point it at least did in my experience you know you can see the sun rays disappearing into.
0: <laughs> oh my Anyways. gosh oh my gosh
2: well this time that was one difference as a as a 40 year old this time i was like I'm just going for it. And so whenever we saw cool stuff, if it was safe, I would get in the water and I'd try and swim with it. Mm -hmm. And so like big manta rays or, uh, turtles, you know, things like that. Uh, if it was like, you know, an orca, that's not a good idea, but, uh, you know, so animals like that. Uh, and so that was really fun because, uh, you know, for me, that was pushing my comfort zone and it was, it was cool to show my kids that, you know, a, a picture of, of adventure. Um, so in, when we were in the Galapagos, that we were there for a month and we were staying, uh, they, they can find you to, to three anchorages uh, because everything is super regulated because they're trying to keep it super nice for ecology. And <laughs> uh, we made it to the second stop. We were in San Cristobal for the first month or three weeks. Then we went to the, Santa Cruz and that was when uh covid went crazy and so all of a sudden we went from just like uh, we actually went to this this awesome place with another family we met uh who were super cool people they were taking a year off to travel with their kids um it was called uh Grietas which is like a, a canyon with this water that you can swim in and it's, it's just really dramatic and beautiful. And there's all these tourists there. And then the next day they shut it all down. Uh, And all the tourists were trying to get out who were on, uh, on boats that all the dive boats were shut down. All the, uh, everyone just left if they could and they shut, shut it all down, quarantine everyone, all the boats were uh, quarantined in the Harbor and uh we ended up staying there for 40 days uh we just we sat in the harbor i was the only one who got off the boat uh and the girls and my parents and sarah they just stayed there and i would get off every other day i would go in and i had my gloves and the mask and i mean because we're watching the news in uh you know in ecuador Galapagos is part of ecuador uh in in ecuador they were people were dying at a rate of they were they were wrapping their relatives in plastic and putting them on the street. Uh and cause there was nowhere to to deal with this huge epidemic. And so we're we were seeing this and they had the military was on shore making sure that you were uh following the rules and they were there were lines for all for everything. And so uh we tried to Monitor the situation in the Pacific, and we could see that the the yachts in, in South uh, in French Polynesia were it was a mess. Uh, they were just piling up in the Marquesas. People were still leaving the Galapagos and or Panama or even Mexico and arriving, and then they were they were increasingly unwelcome uh, because the Marquesas was freaking out about getting COVID possibly uh, and. Uh, then Australia and New Zealand shut down. And so there was nowhere to go for cycling season. And it was just like, uh, then hurricane season was coming for, for us. We needed to get north of the equator. Uh, so uh, we, we decided we're, we're going to head for Mexico instead because uh, all the countries were closing. Uh, and so uh, that was never in the cards. Uh, we never intended to go to the Sea of Cortez. And uh, one of the cool things was some of the boats we'd sailed with in Panama were also heading up there. So uh, family boats. So we ended up, uh, it took us uh, 23 days uh, to get to, uh, to the bottom of the Sea of Cortez. And uh, that was a, a really good passage, challenging uh, through the doldrums and a lot of storms and a lot of uh, weather that. Is tricky, uh, but the of Cortez uh, is is kind of weird as everything is because of the quarantine and, and coronavirus. Uh, they, hey, what's up? Uh, well, I'm talking to some friends. Hi.
0: Hello. <laughs> <I can't... laughs>
2: All right. Well, I'm almost done. I'll bye talk bye. to you. Bye. That was Zoe. <laughs> Hi. I sister named Josh.
0: Bye. <laughs> <laughs> the natives are getting restless. Yeah, my kids are walking around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I'm, We're actually running out of time, but I, I yeah. wanted to ask you specifically, I mean, I, like, my brain was frying hearing you talk about being quarantined, like your kids being stuck on a boat for 40 days, like, and you guys can't. Do, I mean, that's its own insane tall the, tale, sure. Yeah.
2: Well between that and sailing up to they were they didn't get off the boat for about 75 days in the end. Oh my gosh. Like that's that's like a jail term, man. That's that, that is, is amazing. That is exactly. It sounds like it. They I I'll be honest, I thought they were going to I I'd, I'd never expected them to handle as well as they did. They were awesome. Uh and in, in Galapagos, we had these freaking baby sharks that kept swimming around the boat. Yeah. So uh it was a little frustrating because you know, that was one thing was we were like, all right, well, at least we can swim around the boat. Yeah, And so we do that. And then the, the sharks kept showing up until eventually we're just like, you know what? Screw it. If we get eaten, we get eaten. <laughs> and so we're just we're like, all right, we're just going to swim. Yeah. And so that was our saving grace was you could always at least, uh, you know, get in the water.
0: Whoa. So here's my, my last question for yeah. you. Um, and I want you to address a particular person. I'm going to name him real quick. Uh, his name is John Montgomery. He'll know who he is when he listens to this. But he's been on the fence about taking his family on an adventure, and and his, his you know every, I think everyone's scale of adventure is different, and whether that's like just doing a road trip or sailing around the world, like it doesn't really matter. It just depends on your comfort level and like kind of. the to feel. And, and he's like right on the cusp of like stepping off into this unknown with his family. He's a good dad. He's our age, He's married, and they're just feeling the call, the call to adventure. Mm-hmm. And so I want you to address like for every dad, every person who like wants to live overseas or just step into that, like that thing that they know they just kind of need to like, man, I, I don't know what that is, but there's just this like pull in my heart to to cross to the invisible threshold. So like, what would you say to John or anyone else who's like, who's like, knows that they just need to step over that line?
2: I'd say that the greatest gift we can give our, our kids is um, the opportunity to expand their horizons. So just from a dad's perspective, uh, the last year and a half i've seen my kids grow more than they did i mean obviously they're getting older and that happens but uh for all the challenges we face and we still do i mean uh doing adventure is the definition of adventure like you said is different for everyone but i think the universal constant is adventure is one step outside of your comfort zone
0: yeah yeah and so it's involved. Like it wouldn't be a fun adventure. unless there was like, we might get me eaten by sharks.
2: <laughs> All the best memories have, have an element of, uh, of stepping outside your comfort zone. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, as a dad, I think modeling doing that, uh, and you can do it responsibly. I mean, you could do it stupidly too. Like if I, if I went, I mean, no judgment on people, but if I was like, let's go base jumping out of airplanes. You know, that's a different thing than saying, let's go and take the time to make a boat seaworthy and then have a family adventure. Yeah. And so my advice to John Montgomery is there's never going to be a better investment that you can make in your family than doing a family adventure.
0: That's awesome. Dude. Thank you so much, Mr. Rabbit, David, this is awesome. I know that like, I've got a lot more questions, uh, and I'm sure you've got a lot more stories, but maybe we'll return to that someday, but thank you so much for your time. Is there anything uh, you want to plug or mention or point to social media accounts, anything coming on the horizon for you?
2: Well, the big thing I'm working on, uh, I'm writing my first novel. Uh, and just like, you know, I've done a lot of traveling and adventure. I'm obsessed with maps. Mm-hmm. And so I started writing a novel about, uh, the, the book I wanted to read when I was 15. Mm-hmm. Um, about the world's worst explorer goes missing and his grandchildren have to find him. So that's, uh, and it turns out maybe he wasn't such a terrible explorer after all. Uh, So uh, that's under my my writing pen name is Dito Abbott, D I T O A B B O T T. That's my family nickname. Awesome. Quick question. Where can I watch that, um, robot? Oh, sure uh it's if you look on youtube under fast asleep too many drummers fast asleep and uh it's up there hopefully delighting people every day
0: sounds good thank Thank you. you and thanks david appreciate you dude have a good
2: one my pleasure thanks guys
0: yeah you bet take care hey welcome to the field dressing where today we will be talking about david abbott who had sailed with his parents, twice, and then his kids, and both time found insane disaster along the thing. They never, <laughs> never sank. <laughs> I mean, like that would have been the only thing more that could have gone wrong. Or
1: did he? He felt like it was leaving some parts out. Maybe that was... There was, was a...
0: I feel like he was dancing <laughs> around some stuff. I was like, maybe maybe he's like, and I slumped a boat. Yeah. And, uh, or caused a <laughs> terrible environmental disaster in the Galapagos Islands oh, that man. they will never recover from. <laughs> oh,
1: that would be the more believable story, that place is crazy. For, I mean, not crazy. It's yeah. very tight.
0: With I Part of the reason I so, was so fascinated with sailing was in my... Late teens, early 20s, I read a book called Dove, which was, have you read that book? When I Sailed. Are you serious? Yeah. Let me tell you a story. Please do. Okay. So the way I found out about that book was that I knew this young lady in Southern California whose mom knew the the main character from Dove. Oh, wow. And here's how she knew her so him um, him thank you do you remember his name Was it Graham? it's on the tip of my tongue but i do not if it comes back around we'll mention it so this book was written in the 60s it was about at the time the youngest person to circumnavigate the whole globe solo yeah and it's a god i don't want to give details away but essentially this guy wanted to be a sailor his parents were like hell no mm-hmm. and he's just like i'm doing it anyway and they you know, because of the folly he was putting himself in, decided to support him.
1: Yeah,
0: along the way, National Geographic picks up the story, and he takes off out of Long Beach, makes it by hook and crook to uh, Hawaii, and they're oh, like, that's "Okay, right. okay, it you can shaking, do it. Wasn't it? Yeah. So he he basically at, at fifteen or sixteen years old goes from port to port, sailing a leg. Then works, works in the docks to earn money to buy canned food, mend his sale, like all this stuff. That's right. uh, and this is years long. It takes him five years oh, yeah. to go around the whole world. <clears throat> uh, at some point, you know, I think it's twice he capsized, uh, twice the the mast broke. One time he has the, the coming to Jesus moment where he goes... God, if you make it out, you know, if I make it out of this, like I'll change my life. Uh, and he did change his life. Like he, he moved to freaking Montana. Oh, after. the girl. Yeah. He had a girl. So the girl's name is Patty. And Patty, he met this girl. They fell in love. She, I mean, this is also totally extraordinary. In the sixties, her parents were going to send her to college. And she talked her parents into giving her the money that they were going to spend on college. And she goes, I'm going to, I'm going to travel around the world by myself. And I'm like, you're nuts. She's like, that's what I'm gonna do. And and the girl self-educated by traveling alone at 21 years old or something like that, all, around the world. And she meets the young man, they fall in love, and they spend time in tropical islands. And like, I mean, it's oh, like very
1: romantic. I remember reading I was like, like these romantic. two are
0: in love. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but she never sails with him as he's heading around the globe to keep it oh to right. keep it official and at one point like she freaking tr- like rides across africa like on a motorcycle to like meet him on the other side like crazy 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 stuff uh well i met her at a wedding
1: <laughs> no way yeah
0: dude i met her at a I wedding to meet her. and i was starstruck of like course. i'm getting goosebumps now yeah 20 years later wow. thinking about her and i and I, I didn't ask her anything about it i didn't like you knew it was her though i knew it was and her. you'd already read the book I read the book because I knew the family whose wedding I was at I knew her. <laughs> oh, you prepped for it. And you
1: didn't talk to her about it, dude.
0: I was, I was like, I mean, I, I like lost my speech. I'm like around her. I'm like, uh, 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 like, wow. I didn't know because you talk. just
1: read the book. That's pretty interesting. Yeah.
0: So that turned me on to sailing, the idea of sailing, and wanting to learn how to do it. Of course, like a, I don't think I'll do it. I, oh. If I do it, I'm gonna hire a captain who has a boat and they'll take us somewhere and maybe they'll, he'll let me like steer or like pull something that lifts the sail. I don't know. <clears throat> I, don't know yeah, I wish there. you would have
1: mentioned that I, 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 in the conversation. I wonder if he's, if he's read that book. Yeah,
0: I'm sure. You That's think so? I mean, I, it was, uh, it was on my brain when I was thinking about and I should next time David Abbott.
1: Let me know <laughs> yeah seriously yeah because like, we didn't have i felt like time was running out but i wanted to hear more stories about some of the i guess the stuff that goes wrong and and the kind of magic that happens when you're isolated but you're a thousand miles from nowhere you know which i had the i had the fortune to be to experience that you know between hawaii and victoria canada about halfway is somewhere around 1,000 miles from nowhere. It's one of the
0: most remote places. So when life. you are 1,000 miles from nowhere, do you see other boats? Are you like in a shipping lane? You, you know what you, know see, where you see? You see a lot of shipping stuff. Huh. They, and
1: they appear really fast over the horizon, almost ominously. Yeah. And then they're gone. Wow! Yeah, it's kind of weird. I I did remember that. You see a lot of that. Yeah. But they're so far off, you know, huh. you don't come Because you
0: sail, you sail out of the shipping lanes, so you don't get smashed by a big. Thing, I didn't right?
1: have that on my radar, but I imagine there, yeah. there's something like that. But yeah. you, you know, you're always making choices on which way to tack so you can take advantage of the wind. And we were sailing against. I don't know if it was, like we weren't sailing against the wind, but I do know, I remember them telling that the time of year that we were sailing was not the time of year people usually go east oh, on that passage. Huh. But I do remember it just being, all kinds of funky stuff happens. Like you're on a house that floats, you yeah. know, and you're using yeah. the wind. And like, we would, we always had two lot fishing lines out the back at all times. To eat. Well, just, we yeah. had food, but like, why not? Gotcha. And we would catch ma- you know. It started as mahi mahi, and it sure. turned into tuna and jack and you know, as huh. we got into more colder waters. Yeah. But like, we caught a freaking albatross one day. Yeah, this a bird, massive bird, bird, bird dived on our yeah. on our thing and got <clears throat> got tangled yeah. up in the line, and we reeled his ass in. And I had a picture of my friend like holding up this bird, and the bird's wing is like over here. Did and it, it survive
0: or did
1: it? Dude, we just. It was like you pull the right string finally, and the whole bird just goes, whoop, and then just the most graceful thing in the world takes off. Fuck you guys! <laughs> it's like, you were just tied in a knot, and now you are making me want to cry, you're so beautiful. Stuff like that. I was like,
0: I, I would have liked to hear,
1: some, oops, I would have liked to have heard some of that
0: some of that magic stuff. David David was like so understated about Very, the, yeah. the major adventure he was on. <laughs> I know, like man. Uh, we we flipped our car. Dad was in traction for six, I don't know, <laughs> six twelve weeks. But that I mean that story. It's interesting that like what stuck out to him wasn't the magic of being with his dad and helping him out. Although he did hint at like that oh, was I'm a hard sure time in his is, life. Yeah. But he talked about how that was when it changed his life around music and he went from clarinet to drums and that guy, the the Australian guy in New Zealand, yeah. was the guy who's yes. who was like sparked something in him and changed his life. Here, here's, and, sorry.
1: Nah. Here's what I like real, real, real thoughts about that conversation yeah. here in just a little bit of of his life. And uh, you know, David, if you're listening to this, it's like comes from the heart. You know, and, and I I also qualify yeah. like that because I I might be off. Yeah. You know, but my impression and is that He's a really good example of someone who seems to not be maybe wired to automatically do the really challenging thing. um, But he does it anyway. Like he finds his way to that life changing choice and then does it. He said it with music, yeah, you know, and then I don't know, he maybe has a different relationship with sailing, but
0: you know what? I really appreciate it. I think that uh, another way to look at that is that, yeah, yeah that, that's probably true and another one is for most of us if we face that very challenging thing we're like i'm gonna tell everybody i'm doing this uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah and, and it's like have, you yeah. can't help but like one like it just uh, comes out of your body like uh you know the joke like how do you know who does crossfit like they'll tell they'll you, tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and i think that tends to be how it is with hard things we just we vomited up i know i do i'm sorry well you, you know? did a
1: hard thing you're like i deserve a little credit
0: and that I'm guy not saying that's right right if- and that guy and i don't know if it's his parents or his personality or both of those things but we were having to kind of like pull out like tell us more about the hard things and and yeah i mean that he glossed over like my kids were on a boat not they did not get off a boat for 75 days and i mean that's like we could, have, we could have talked the whole time about that. that is insane. that's crazy. And then to see the little girl come on, she's like a happy right. little kid right. you know that is, the the parenting that was involved with that, like yeah. the grandparenting yeah. like the whole family yeah. familial dynamics is like next next level of how did they survive that I mean that was that's crazy. I read in a New York Times article about uh families who live on sailboats full time and essentially they just live on the high seas. And, and one of the things I learned was that you have to have almost nothing in terms of ownership. Like everything that's on the boat is, is there to keep the boat afloat and to keep yeah. working. And your personal items are super small. Like you have like one or two shirts, a few pairs of underwear, and you keep it because anything more, and it's, and it's a waste of space, waste of energy. And it talked about these kids who at first didn't want to go. Then they go, they sail around the world. The whole time they're just fantasizing about getting back, having yeah. a normal life. Oh my gosh! You know, shower and food. Yeah, yeah. And they're just like, oh my god, I hate this. I can't wait to get back. Then that. they get back, and then they're like, oh damn, like I can't handle this. Like they, it oh. feels like such an insane waste to have like five shirts, oh. or to have a bed, or to have a bicycle. they you know, and they're and they're racked with guilt for the resources that went into it and knowing it's excess it's it's just excess like no one needs this amount of stuff and and they've learned how to live with like very little stuff and I wonder what that was like for them and their kids yeah you know you experienced that or, yeah you know. did you I mean you've traveled enough did you have you gotten like I know if if I you know I've went to I've been to Southeast Asia I've been to the Middle East I've been Europe Mexico elsewhere and Anytime I'm in an area that is poor and I get back and I'm like, or even, you know, I lived in England for two years and I came back and I'm like, God, why are our cars giant here? Why do we need giant cars yeah. all the time yeah. to move a person around? Why do yeah. we need a 7,000 pound vehicle yeah. to move me from one point to another? This is bizarre. It's I mean, a bizarre experience. Co-
1: greatest, like Probably the greatest these days where there's so much momentum in how we live our lives yeah. and, but also that momentum, the things that the way we live our lives also changes a lot going other places um, maybe particular other places in general, obviously, but even maybe places that have been around a little longer and have maybe yeah. more of their infrastructure doesn't have so much of that change. Right. Um, I think that that's probably about as valuable as it gets. It can kind of wake us up to what we really need because it's not our fault if we've grown up on yeah. that big. Right. I That's exactly right. But yeah, that was anyways. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm <clears throat> looking forward to more adventure stories from folks who we hear from the future. And, and David's like, he's, he like, um, like Andy understated about their accomplishments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Way understated, <laughs> like super humble about their experiences. Yeah. Uh, I, I, would probably want to hear from his dad at some point. I mean, ice surgeon, oh and, you know, yeah. teaching guys in the Middle East who are now like healing people, who are probably teaching people now. Like, I
1: like, I liked when we, uh, you, one of us asked him, like, oh, I think it was you. You asked him if when his dad got. Is it, quick question yeah is mortally wounded does that mean you died yes okay so yeah what's close to that just severely uh, wounded? I don't uh, know. wounded anyways wounded really wounded like for the second time in a row and at the time that that delayed like the two biggest injuries that guy's had in his life i'm assuming they're about as big as it gets <laughs> they came right before he and his son are like about to go sailing and you go You've seen this as a sign not to go He's, and it was almost like he didn't even understand what you were asking. It was like so much of a hard no. I was
0: like, right on. I know, I know. That's strong. I really like that. That's good. Anyways, yes. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh tune in next time. We will be interviewing a guy named Oscar Marino, who was a young guy, very, I don't know, I wouldn't say decorated, but he was like in the music industry in the early 90s with some top names. And uh has a, an insane story that very that surprised me a lot.